This is All India Radio. In the weekly program Current Affairs, we now bring you a discussion on Neighborhood First Policy of India. The participants are Veena Sikre, former diplomat and Anil Vadhva, foreign affairs expert. Indrani Bagche, journalist, initiates and moderates the discussion. India's neighborhood first policy. It has been emphasized by almost every government. The Prime Minister Modi in both his tenures in two swearing-in ceremonies has invited neighborhood leaders to participate in his inauguration which is unusual and has not happened before. This time was even more unusual because he invited leaders from BIMSTEC countries. For those who do not know, BIMSTEC stands for the Bay of Bengal Association for Multi-Sectoral Cooperation and includes India, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Nepal, Myanmar, Sri Lanka and Thailand. If you notice that there is a significant difference from SARC, which has been the traditional organization that we have associated with South Asia and with India's neighborhood policies. SARC leaders, if you remember, were invited for the 2014 inauguration, which among others included the Pakistan Prime Minister, Afghanistan and Maldives, three countries which were not represented this time. Anil, if you could give us a sense of how the Neighborhood First policy has evolved and second, what does it actually entail? Obviously, we all know that the neighborhood has to be the most important. Why do we have to have a separate policy called the Neighborhood First? Well, I think any economy like India, which is in the throes of development, must have a peaceful neighborhood. And it's also very important that the borders are calm and manageable so that the country can get on with the task of economic build-up. It also affects a number of internal policies if the neighborhood is calm and you don't have to divert attention to problems which might crop up. Starting from that, uh, Prime Minister Modi, in his first term in office, had invited the SARC leadership. Unfortunately, SARC has become dysfunctional because of, as we all know, intransigence of Pakistan, especially on connectivity, energy projects which had been agreed upon, but uh, Pakistan balked at the last moment. And thereafter, we've seen that the Pakistani backing of cross-border terrorism and terrorist elements in our neighborhood has also played a big role in SARC not being able to meet at the summit level. Because of this functionality, this time around, the Prime Minister, in keeping with the neighborhood policy, opted for the BIMSTEC grouping of the countries. This grouping, as you yourself said, has got five South Asian countries and two countries which belong to Southeast Asia. There are two or three important issues here. One, of course, is still our neighborhood. Secondly, the fact that there are five South Asian countries involved means that India wants to get along with the agenda, which is very important, of connectivity in the neighborhood. Third, our Northeast is in the middle of the BIMSTEC grouping, and connectivity with the BIMSTEC is extremely important for the development of the Northeast. This region is also rich in energy, in hydrocarbons, and uh, it requires an energy grid which will become a very important source binding all these countries together, which will bring about naturally synergies. It will also bring about cooperation between these countries as far as useful connectivity projects are concerned, with which that could lead to trade, economic prosperity, etc. across the borders and also by sea. And security has become an important issue also in the region. We have seen the Rohingya issue had flared up. Plus, we know that maritime security has become an important subject for India in the recent past. Many countries of this region are literal states which belong to the Wimstep grouping, but at the same time they desperately need to strengthen their defenses. India can play a major role over there. 
and that's what gives us the importance as far as India is concerned. So I think it was an apt choice this time in keeping with our neighborhood policy to opt for the BIMSTEC. Ambassador Sikri, Ambassador Vatva talked about an energy grid and also highlighted one of the more important and security issues that face us in this region, which is the Rohingya issue. With your experience, would you be able to give us a sense of how this energy grid has been moving between India, Bangladesh, including the Northeast? I think the energy grid is one of the very good ideas which are there. If you look at it in a broader perspective, we have to first see where we are headed for with the, and I think the most important aspect which comes out with the invitation to the BIMSTEC for Prime Minister Modi's second swearing in is if you look at meshing in with his Act East policy, so you're reaching out through South Asia to Southeast Asia, and then you're looking beyond to the Indo-Pacific policy. So I think this aspect of the neighborhood and then going on to Southeast Asia and Indo-Pacific is very important because this brings in all the aspects, including energy, because energy, the sea lanes of cooperation are vital. As Anand spoke about the energy grid between Bangladesh and India, which is actually in many ways at the heart of the connectivity question that we are talking about, because it's not just roads, because obviously apart from the roads, the fact if you can put power grid between two countries, that the level of confidence is at a completely different scale. In fact, this proposal, I started talking about it while I was um, High Commissioner in Bangladesh. It was one of the very active aspects under consideration. But it's only when Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina began her second term in 2009 that this got a great strengthening. Before this, we had tried to do with Bangladesh an oil pipeline grid, which also was, well, of course, part of the energy portfolio, which didn't work out at that time under the previous dispensation. But this energy grid of integrating and sharing with South Asia the availability of power, which, for example, in Bhutan is of a very high nature, which they want. Arunachal Pradesh is of a very high nature. And all of these are needed by Bangladesh for their growth and development. But through Bangladesh, they come through the rest of India. So you have a huge integration and they can even, Nepal and India's own energy problems have not yet been solved. Here, the cooperation that is vital is that it's a highly technical subject to create this energy gate, the timings when you're going to supply the electricity because you're going to use it on both sides of the border. But we have seen in Bangladesh that wherever it went, the first time it was to the western part of Bangladesh adjoining West Bengal, and it created a huge direct economic impact of industrialization, availability of power for young students, for studying, for communication. It created a huge impact. So the economic prosperity that was directly seen as a result of this was enormous. And in fact, Sheikh Hasina herself, when she came to power, had promised very high focus on energy. She began by even creating river-borne power generation plants, which was very expensive. But this energy cooperation has given her a very viable move towards prosperity. Anil, just to go back to something that you said in your opening remarks about the Indian Ocean and the importance of Indian Ocean and we both spoke about the importance of the Indian Ocean and Indo-Pacific. Prime Minister will be in Maldives and Sri Lanka over the weekend. What do you make of the choice of the neighbors that he is visiting? Because traditionally our first stop for any new government was always Bhutan and today the foreign minister is in Bhutan but the prime minister will be in Maldives. What does that say to you since you have dealt with this I think both these countries are very good choices for Mm -hmm. first visits. There are various reasons for this. One is that recently both these countries have been under a lot of Chinese pressure. And in our neighborhood, as you know, the implementation of the BRI has been a bit opaque. And because of that, especially in the Maldives, I think the very fact that we did not have 
even proper accounting procedures as a result of which Maldives now turn to us for training of audit personnel in order to come to a conclusion about how much has been spent and how much is owed etc. That points to the fact that the opaqueness which was there under the previous regime in Maldives was leading Maldives into a very dangerous direction. So the political developments which have happened and the new government which has come in was obviously welcomed by India and Prime Minister Modi, as you know, himself was there at the swearing-in ceremony of the new head of Maldives and therefore this is a continuation of that policy. India is committed to the development of Maldives. It's a very important neighbor in the Indian Ocean. And what had also happened is that there was security threat as far as the Maldives was concerned because of certain proposals that had been mooted during the previous yes. regime. And uh, the fact that he is going to actually inaugurate a radar system, yes. which is a surveillance system for the Maldives, which will be operated by them, points to the direction that Maldivians should be able to take care of their own security in the future and should be able to ward off any threats to a small country like theirs and that India is always there to support them. Of course, Maldives also requires a lot of reassurance and economic support, and therefore the timing is absolutely perfect for that visit. Coming to Sri Lanka, it is reeling under separatism, terrorism, and again sectarian violence, which has taken place recently. The government, again, has not been fully in control, if you can make out from what has happened recently there. And uh, previous few months have shown that the Sri Lankan government had actually also lost control quite a bit of uh, where they were going economically. And last year or so, we saw what happened in Hamantota in terms of equity sales to the Chinese because of default on payments. That's something which should not happen normally in a country like Sri Lanka, which has actually been very much on top of their game, so to mm. speak, in the past. But unfortunately, it has happened. And uh, India would very much like to see Sri Lanka stand on its own feet, come back to normalcy, and also ensure that this spillover doesn't happen to any of the Indian states because right. of the strong cultural linkages that we have. And the fact that Sri Lanka is a country which is just across our borders. So once again... In Sri Lanka, all these reassurances would be forthcoming. It would be a visit which once again put our ties back on track. And uh, at the same time, we'll give a reassurance to the Sri Lankans that India, along with countries like Japan, is also there in case yes. of infrastructure projects which are badly needed. That's right. We've just signed the Eastern Container Terminal for yes. the Colombo port with yes. Japan and uh, Sri Lanka. Ambassador Sikri, as you spoke, there are security challenges that we look at when we also look at in the Bimstek region. I mean, SARC, we know the obvious security challenge in the SARC region, but there is growing security challenges in from the Bimstek region, as you spoke about the Rohingya, both in Myanmar and in Bangladesh. In your view, going forward, what is the challenge that you envisage? And... How do you think India should be looking to resolve this or to be able to ward off the challenge? This Rohingya issue specifically is indeed a very, very serious challenge because uh, it's combined not only with uh, over a million people who have come over into Bangladesh and are being given refugee status there, but it is also combined with the huge threat of uh, increased radicalization, increased extremism and it's spilling over into India combined with a completely underestimated drug menace these methamphetamine tablets which are coming across in the millions 
and which are spreading all across Bangladesh. It's a social problem, a huge problem that has gripped the country. And certainly both these issues will spill over into India at some time. But I think here again, the BIMSTEC value comes in because it provides an opportunity for the countries to talk, to exchange views. It's an opportunity to see how this can be resolved. It's an opportunity to see whether countries, whether India can play a role in bringing the two countries closer to each other. Certainly they're looking at China in a bigger way. But if you look at these three challenges, I think security, connectivity and trade, which are very vital, all these are linked with increased people-to-people interaction. Now we tried it with SARC. It didn't work because of the terrorism issue and uh, Pakistan refusing to give access, for example, for Indian goods to travel by land to Afghanistan. So that just collapsed on its end. But even then, when Prime Minister Modi went to the last SARC summit, which was at Kathmandu in 2014, he had said, we are going to go ahead with everybody if we want that to happen. But if not, we do it on our own. So now you have smaller groupings coming up. BBIN is one that has come up. And we're trying to see the Motor Vehicles Agreement and other programs, including the energy cooperation we spoke about earlier, that that can come about through organizations uh, like BBIN. And BBIN feeds into BIMSTEC mm-hmm. in a very positive way because you have here a sub-regional group which is from SARC, but if it succeeds, feeds into BIMSTEC very well. And here again, you can talk about all the counter-terrorism issues, talk about how to tackle the Rohingya problem and to see how, if possible, the government of Myanmar and the agreement that they have already concluded with Bangladesh, how it can be put to work because they have concluded an agreement, both the countries, to take people back. But every time it has about to be implemented, it's the Rohingya refugees themselves who have refused to go back. So this has created a problem which has been very intransigent and difficult to solve because the Bangladesh government itself is facing a huge crisis in looking after them for longer and longer time. And how do you think we can help? I think, first of all, we have to understand this problem. It is not a black and white problem where, you know, the million people are going to go back. Because the government of Myanmar is saying that, yes, we will take back those who have the citizen papers or the naturalization papers. And for this, I think, is a problem that has deep origins from the British times and they would bring more these people. And we had an identical problem in Malaysia. But in Malaysia, before Malaysia got independence, our then Prime Minister solved it with the government of Malaysia, which was about to be formed. The first Prime Minister of Malaysia, and they created a situation where the people who were there could get the citizenship and stay on. But in Burma, when the British left, this did not happen. And so this problem has been festering all these decades. And the two countries, there has to be a start. Yes, you agree that you'll take back some. Some will be getting the full citizenship category. Some will be in the middle category. The Myanmar law on this is very complicated and complex. But there has to be a start. Otherwise, these problems of drugs, of radicalization, even the training of people and the trafficking, the trafficking of women and children is huge which is a huge threat, even at the Indian borders, we've seen it. Both people, again, trying to escape to Malaysia and Thailand. So it's a humanitarian crisis. It's a security crisis. As I said, the drug issue is very serious. Right? So we have to look at it. But I think BIMSEC provides another forum. And hopefully, even ASEAN has tried as a group. Of course, ASEAN is also very particular. They don't talk about internal issues and they do talk on issues of common interest to all. I think here also one other aspect which BIMSEC could do, increase the trade. We're talking about a possible free trade agreement where you have economic prosperity, the neighboring areas sharing each other's interests and you might have a more open situation for people to move back. Anil, you mentioned that there are problems in SARC and the foreign minister yesterday said the same thing, that there are problems in SARC. Do you believe that BIMSTEC is sort of under-resourced? In a sense, somebody had defined a South Asia. Do we define this geographically? Do we define BIMSTEC by values? Do we define BIMSTEC by 
connectivity. How do we define BIMSTEC? And what would you like to see in terms of putting resources on the table for BIMSTEC? I say this because there are, of course, a lot of people say, what BIMSTEC? It's just mm. come out of nowhere. How do we take this forward? Well, in 1998, when BIMSTEC was formed, it was actually put together because countries were like-minded in South Asia and in ASEAN and were sort of connected to each other either by land or by the sea, decided that they should form this grouping for economic cooperation to actually use the expertise and the development processes that they were undergoing to lift up people from their economic status Mm -hmm. into a higher status. That was actually stated in 1998 when Mm -hmm. it was formed. Now, we've had an expansion of BIMSTEC, by the way. It was not originally seven. Mm -hmm. So that has also happened. Mm -hmm. It happened for, again, reasons which were geopolitical. First time around, it was purely economic. But now it's become grouping which is acceptable to all. Mm -hmm. And they all accept the fact that they are there because of a certain reason. And that reason, nobody doubts anymore. You hit upon a very pertinent point. BIMSTEC is under-resourced, as you said. What happened with Wimstech was that uh, the countries, when they came together, they realized that there were actually just two countries which were able to financially lead the, the organization, right. which is India and Thailand. Thailand. Other than that, the other countries of the region are economically not so well off, mm. comparatively speaking. So the burden would fall on these two countries mm. to actually lead the organization right. in any direction that they had to go. Also, what has happened along the way is that the organization has actually focused on too many areas. So we have now as many as 15 or 16 areas of focus. So that has diffused the efforts of these countries. And with the Secretariat, which is very nascent, which Mm -hmm. has been formed in Bangladesh, Bangladesh. but at the same time it is hampered by the fact that even some of the diplomats who serve there from their own foreign ministries, their salaries are equivalent to what they get back home in in their foreign ministries or even less than that. So therefore, the incentive to serve in the Secretariat is much less compared to other international organizations. Mm. I think the drafters at that point in time were very, very stringent. And the ministries of finance who were looking at this at that point in time did not have the vision to say that this secretariat should also be constituted on terms which are equivalent to other secretariats in order to be attractive. So I'm not saying that the people who man it are actually not competent. There are very competent people. But at the same time, they depend a lot on extra budgetary funding to undertake some activities which become important from time to time. For that reason, therefore, they depend a lot on organizations which exist in Southeast Asia or in South Asia. Not all of them are countries who can actually afford to fund such activities. The only thing which is of note which has happened from outside and which is very pertinent to BIMSTEC is the BTILS study, which was put together by area which is uh, an ASEAN grouping. Well, ASEAN Institute, which is funded by the Japanese. And the Japanese were very interested in connectivity projects in the region, so therefore very interested in uh, putting this report together. And therefore, this report has been very successful in terms of acceptance by the countries of the region. 63 of these projects are already being implemented, so that's a good sign. But as we discussed as just we go now, forward, what happens? as we go forward, it's important that the Secretariat has the wherewithal to deal with day-to-day matters. Matter. It's only in the last summit that they decided that there should be an interim committee which should be set up, which will actually deal with day-to-day affairs mm. between summits. And 
Actually, organizing a summit of Wimstek itself is a challenge because the leadership has not been very forthcoming in terms of agreeing on a date and sticking to it. So it's very difficult for the leadership to then come to a consensus on these days. Do you think SARC should wither on the vine? Should it just wither away because we are redefining our neighborhood, we are redrawing the line in the neighborhood, maybe not geographically, but certainly politically and economically. And uh, second, are we looking at our neighborhood as east as opportunity, west as challenge? Is that how we... No, I don't think so. I think we have to look at it as whatever works. You have your own interests. We know the neighborhood is vital and that is very essential. First ring of India's foreign policy. Now, Sark, we did try to make it work. If it's not going to work, we don't just keep on with that. We try something else. And I think with BIMSEC, I think two or three good factors. One is Japan's interest. And this is a new approach of Japan to join with India in doing projects in third countries. It's already worked for Sri Lanka. It may in Maldives will have something. And maybe in Bangladesh also we'll have something in the future. That's one which is a very, very positive sign. The second is, I think, the leadership of countries like India. I think we have to give the leadership by giving that focus on implementation. And in that sense, what uh, the external affairs minister said in his statement uh, yesterday, that greater integration within the government for the ministries to work together to recognize the important role that BIMSEC can play, this is important because implementation becomes slow because of this lack of intra-ministry cooperation and lack of understanding and prioritization of the work done by the various ministries. So I think this is a bread and butter issue, but it's vital because the only impression that is a little unpositive, shall I say, is poor implementation rates. You keep talking about something and then you don't implement it. I mean like in Myanmar you have these old projects and so many others they just strewn around the place and if we were to give that focus and energy uh, to BIMSEC it's going to work very well. Maybe SARC would also revive. I don't think there's any withering away but certainly in its present state it's going to stay the way it is for some time to come. I would tend to agree with that viewpoint because I think at various points in time in history we come across situations where you have to focus on something and um, other Otherwise, it just doesn't work. So tomorrow, if the intransigence from Pakistan goes away, I'm just giving you a best case scenario. If Pakistan uh, turns a new leaf, for instance, and starts not supporting terrorism, then obviously SARC is a chance of revival. And then, of course, the countries who are members of SARC can get back to business in that organization as well. But talking of BIMSTEC, I think it needs a big push. It needs finances. And it needs, most importantly, a direction from the leadership, which will have to be personal in order for it to move forward in selected areas. And I think there's a very good proposal from Thailand on the table, which was mooted at the last summit, where they said that BIMSTEC should actually focus on just five areas. What that will do is to bring the focus back and efforts will be concentrated. And Which five areas will be? Well, connectivity is on the top there, science and technology, people-to-people contacts, and uh, one is security, trade. and trade is, is the fifth mm-hmm. one. So I think all these are most pertinent ones. And if these are concentrated upon, I think Wimsek uh, can get a new life, you know, world mm. grown into it. It should work. I'd like to stay with you when you spoke about Thailand. And, of course, uh, something that we look at and that has been in the discussion forums recently has been the issue of the Kra Canal and the security challenge that poses to India potentially. What are your views? Do you think it's something that we should be looking at more closely because it is a neighborhood issue or whether we should be looking at it through the prism of the India-China. And if you could just explain the Kra Canal project. I think Kra Canal project is a very complicated project because it will split Thailand into two 
and in fact some say is very dangerous for the political setup in Thailand because already the south is under insurgency and it will cut off that region even further but then of course there are ways to get around that let's put that aside for a while and look at the implications of this project it will actually displace a number of people who depend on fishing for their livelihood it will also destroy a number of mangroves in that region it will destroy marine aquatic life and uh, it will cost a lot of money for the displaced people to be rehabilitated, rehabilitated elsewhere so it's a massive project supposing it succeeds i don't think we should look at it from the india china perspective i think that's a mistake we do all the time because not everything is india it and china is. i think if it benefits india one should look at it from that perspective and in my opinion it will benefit india because it will actually shorten the time which it takes for us to ship our goods to various countries in the region right now we all have to go to singapore and mm. we have to go around and ship our goods time will come down costs will come down singapore will become an alternate port and of course this is another route which will open up so let's look at it from that perspective so the kra canal is a project that is in thailand china has proposed that they deepen the canal and widen it and make it like an asian version of a suez canal to make it easier for shipping etc to go through the security challenge of course being that this gives china almost an entry into india's bay of bengal and the bay of bengal littoral so makes it uh, easier for china to reach indian shores which is seen as a problem but as anil wathar speaks about it he says we should look at it as a positive as an opportunity rather than always looking at it through the india china prism it also gives us an opportunity an equal opportunity and it gives us an opportunity in the bimstek if we keep our focus only on the bimstek do we then run into the risk of forgetting for the lack of a better word forgetting our neighbors like maldives and afghanistan who are part of sark but not part of bimstek Oh, I don't think so. I think, as I said, we have to focus on a what is in India's interest and b if we can make it work. Bimstek has a great value. Maldives, if you will recall, has just very recently joined the Indian Ocean Rim Association. So I think they have been brought into another grouping which is of vital interest to India and which I think in the coming years should be a one of great focus and attention. So that is another thing. With Afghanistan, we of course have a very very dynamic and strong bilateral relationship. I think this should be built up upon. I think uh, of course now Afghanistan is through once again of finding a peace agreement and talks with Taliban are going through various permutations and combinations. So that is a little bit of an uncertainty, but I don't think our bilateral relationship with Afghanistan will weaken in any way. If Sark does revive, there comes back Afghanistan. Maldives is already there in the IRA. We have to continue our relationship with these countries. There will be no letting up on that. But at the same time, because Bimstek has a purpose to serve, it serves the interests of the countries of this region. It serves India's interest. It is our gateway to Southeast Asia and and the Indo-Pacific. So I think that focus will also remain. It is always a multi-layered foreign policy. So, uh, closing thoughts, um, Anil Wadhwa. First of all, we started off from the neighborhood first policy. this modi government 2.0 has continued uh, the same policy which is again the right policy in my opinion in fact uh, we should build up on our relationship with all neighbors as far as possible and uh, wherever possible we should exploit this enhanced relationship for our own economic development and also carry everybody along in the region because that's the surest way to ensure that uh, we develop internally It's been a fascinating discussion and uh, the neighborhood first policies of the Modi government also hinges on one aspect that we all 
should focus on, which is the fact that India will not and does not ask for reciprocal action from our neighboring countries. And uh, this is very significant in my view because it leaves them without the burden of having to think of India all the time before taking any decisions and they can take decisions that are favorable to India but in their own interest and this lack of reciprocity is something that I think we started with if I remember correctly back in 2004-2005 I remember Foreign Secretary Shamsaran talking about the lack that we did not need a reciprocal but that slowly I think We walked back and we asked our neighbors to actually be a little more concerned or sensitive to our security interests. It's interesting that we are going back to that and saying that we don't need reciprocity from our uh, neighbors. On that note, thank you both very much and thank you for such an interesting discussion. Thank you. You were listening to a discussion on Neighborhood First Policy of India. The participants were Veena Sikri, former diplomat and Anil Vadva, foreign affairs expert. Indrani Bhakchi, journalist, initiated the discussion. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. You can also listen to this program on our website, newsonair.nic.in. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalks at gmail.com. 